Welcome to the weekly worship service from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbon A and Kankakee. In today's service, you will hear readings from God's Word, a message from our pastor, the Lord's Prayer, and a blessing for you and your family. But first, a few announcements about our ministry at St. Paul's. We invite you to join us for our weekly 5 p.m. Saturday worship service at our church located at 348 East Merchant Street in downtown Kankakee. We also hold weekly Sunday morning worship services at 8.30 and 11.05 at our school site, located at 1780 Career Center Road in Bourbon A. If you have any health reasons that might keep you away from in-person worship, please consider one of our alternative worship services, such as our worship page on our website, our weekly WKAN broadcast, and through our Facebook stream. You may also request an audio copy or opt for our podcast. All worship services and church information are available on our website at stpaulslutheran.net. The latest information on our response to the pandemic is available by clicking the COVID-19 tab at the top of the page. For more information about St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School, please call the church office at 815-932-0312. And now we pray that you are blessed by the Word of God in today's worship. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. 
Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Lift, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a quick your heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from the blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart. A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build on the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be a righteous sacrifice, whose whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then milk will be offered on your table. The bulls will be offered on your table. Altar. This is the word of God. Let us stand for the gospel. Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 12th chapter. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after, runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near, and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. We continue with hymn 915. Today your mercy calls us. 
God's grace, mercy, and peace be yours today in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text for the message comes from our Old Testament reading from Psalm 51. Let's pray. O Lord, hear our prayer. Cleanse us, wash us, forgive us, and bless us. And as we gather, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Maker and our Redeemer. Amen. It was back in January of 2020, there was an article titled, The Truth About Lying and What It Does to Our Body. A doctor by the name of Ben Sullivan talked about the and discussion about the physical and psychological consequences of lying. This is what he wrote. We tell lies all the time. A 2002 study performed by psychologist Robert Feldman at the University of Massachusetts found 60% of people lied at least once during a 10-minute conversation, telling an average of two to three lies. Many are trivial and are told to keep the peace or make someone feel good. The example of the niceties are, hey, you can't tell you're wearing a toupee, <laughs> to uh, the turkey doesn't taste dry to me, right? But more sinister lies, such as falsely accusing someone of a crime or lying to investors, can have devastating consequences. Dishonesty puts the brain in a state of heightened alert and the stress increases with the magnitude of the lie. In addition to short-term stress, discomfort, and living a dishonest life would seem to take a toll on health. A 2015 review article, constant lying is associated with an array of negative health outcomes, including high blood pressure, increased heart rate, and elevated stress hormones in the blood. Interesting, isn't it? It was back in uh, 1984 in June in the Boston Globe reported a story of a tragic drowning of an eight-year-old boy. The, according to the three friends who were with him, he tripped, had slipped in the water while hunting for golf balls at a local country club. They thought he was playing a trick on them uh, and didn't attempt to rescue, and, and the boy drowned. Two years later, the truth of the drowning came to light. One of the friends had pushed him into the water. Even though no harm was intended, the friends uh, decided to protect themselves by telling the lie, keeping the truth a secret. They did not realize the effect that guilt would have on their lives. According to parents and friends, after the drowning, the boys suffered even emotional instability, getting withdrawn and having nightmares. One be began crying frequently after his friend's death and had to sleep with his parents. One, once he cut his head when he ran full speed into a dumpster. A second would stay at home on days when he felt angry and disgusted about telling a lie to protect a friend. And third, started hearing voices, seeing visions, and barely talked to his parents, and later entering the mental health unit at the hospital. Lying and guilt. Now, that kind of stuff doesn't happen with every secret we keep, every lie we tell, but guilt often exacts a high price, doesn't it? Consider the experience of David. He was king of Israel tried to escape the secret guilt of his sin. And what did we hear in our reading today? When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. 
For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So in poetic language, David is saying that he, he's suffering, not only uh, mentally but and physically and as well as spiritually uh, from guilt. Maybe you know the weight of unresolved guilt. Perhaps you can identify with uh, the anguish of those, those three boys or maybe King David. Is there a chance for hope? Is there a solution to the weight and the burden of this guilt? There was for David, not only suffer, uh, uh, who not only suffered, but also recovered. And since that ancient guilt was just as destructive as our modern guilt, his solution works for us too. The promise of scripture is that it will. His solution, come clean before God, right? Psalm 51, it's, it's not a passage that's usually scheduled in our readings for this time of the church year, but hey, it's summer, right? Uh, uh, I thought a little diversion of the Psalms might be helpful for us. Unresolved guilt can fester and grow if you never deal with it. Imagine for a moment thinking of the very worst thing that you've ever done. Maybe it's something you've never told anyone. Uh, and, and if it ever came out in the open, you know that it would be embarrassing. Perhaps it could affect your standing at work or the community. Your greatest fear would be realized that, and you'd be so shameful in the, in the past, uh, uh, so shameful that in the past it would now be known to all. I guess that every person gathered here has something that they would probably prefer to keep to themselves. David begins a song. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. And so as the first verse suggests, this is what's called a penitential psalm, praying that God would forgive him his sin. He's conscious of the fact that so often he does what is evil, uh, and that God has every right to condemn him. And, but this isn't the confession of a new believer who has this sudden realization of their sinfulness. I mean, this is some, someone who is one of God's own people. I mean, this is the king of Israel, King David, realizes his behavior is not in keeping with that of being a child of God. How do we know this? All you have to do, go to the heading at the top of the psalm. There we find the explanation about the background of the reading. And I included it in the reading in, in your bulletin today. A Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Ah, now, I don't know if David was the one who wrote the heading to that Psalm, or maybe it was the compiler of the Old Testament hymn book, the Psalms. But every time this Psalm was used in worship, David's sinfulness was paraded before everyone. And can you imagine that? Can you imagine having that kind of heading to maybe uh, one of our hymns, uh, to have something like that displayed in the bulletin or, or up on the screens every time we sing a particular hymn? <laughs> maybe it goes something like this. This hymn was written when Pastor Smith had a steamy affair with someone other than his wife. Or this hymn was written when the leader of the church, uh, uh, Joseph uh, Williams, was discovered to have embezzled funds from the church. Can you imagine that? A constant reminder every time that hymn would come up in the bulletin or on the screens. There it is, right there in the worship section of the hymn book, uh, the, the hymn book of the Old Testament Bible. 
everyone to read for centuries to come. The heading of the psalm reminds those who are worshiping of the shameful past of their most favorite king. Now you can read 2 Samuel chapter 11, there you find all the gory details, but basically David coveted his neighbor's wife. His desire turned to action and he had sex with her. He had her husband killed to cover up the affair and then he took her to be his own wife. How many of the commandments did David break in that whole incident? Well, the only sin, uh, it wasn't only a sin against uh, this other man and Uriah and his wife, but also a sin against God. It took a bit of time for his plan to unfold. No one thought a whole lot about it, and, and he thought he probably got away with it. His actions were planned. He acted on that plan. He thought everything was okay. It wouldn't surprise me if David even went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, a new wife next to him, and nodding and greeting fellow worshipers, maybe smiling, shaking hands. People got used to seeing him with his new wife, and no one didn't believe that he had done anything wrong. But a carefully uh, constructed plan came crashing down when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. After this, we might be tempted to say, Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not in any way like King David. I've never done anything as bad as that. Well, really, have we? I mean, we live in a culture where the word sin is like a dirty word. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a church word that people in the community don't use very often because when it's used, it's, it's felt that it's judgmental. And of course, what is defined as sin differs to, from person to person these days. And there are people that outright deny that they sin at all. They say sin is what uh, those criminals, those other people do. They, they cause extreme harm to people and property. You know, the little things, you know, uh, shoplifting, maybe lying, uh, maybe bad language or gossiping, those are just the little things. I mean, you really can't call those things sin, can you? You know, there are a lot of people who believe that those kind of actions uh, are part of our freedom that we have as individuals to express ourselves the way that we want. You know, there are people that go ahead and justify sexual sin, substance abuse, justify violent behavior as their right to express those feelings regardless of the impact on others. But you see, God's definition, definition of sin, that's really different, isn't it? Very different from the idea held by many in our world today. The Bible makes it absolutely clear that every single person on this earth has to deal with sin every day. Every action, every thought, every word smudged with sin. We're born sinners. We inherit sin from our parents, who in turn can trace the origin of that sinfulness back to our first parents in the Garden of Eden. Paul in Romans 5 wrote about this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all have sinned. This inbuilt desire to sin becomes crystal clear when we say and do things that are, are so wrong, so far away from the, the way God wants us to speak and act. Paul often describes to his readers how human desires turn to sin. And in Galatians chapter five, right before his uh, list of the fruits of the spirit, he talks about that. He writes, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. 
I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, those who act like that today, they get a spot on a reality show, don't they? Or maybe a, a spot on a daytime drama. But Paul makes it quite clear that sinner cannot stand in the presence of God, and neither can they, they, neither can they expect to inherit eternal life. The psalm is a glimpse into David's struggle and his heart. Psalm 51, David pours out his heart to God in prayer. He knew that sin had taken control of his life. And in this prayer, he admits that his sins, uh, they're always there. That he can't escape them. He can't fix them. He can't hide from them. And he can't hide them either. He thought he could because no one noticed what he had done. But even though no one else knew what had happened, God knew. God could see into his mind. He could see into his heart. And, and he knew that David, the very one who is supposed to be a, a model to the whole nation of what it means to be one of God's people, committed terrible sin. So God sent Nathan, the prophet, to challenge King David. God wanted David to re reflect on the fact that just because no one noticed and just because no one said anything, it didn't mean that it, what he did, didn't mean that what he had done didn't matter. The Bible makes it clear that sin, no matter what kind it is or how big it is, sin is a serious offense against God. God's serious about sin, isn't he? The Bible makes it clear that even if no one recognizes a certain attitude or action to be sin, and even if it is completely acceptable in our society, that doesn't change the fact that from God's point of view, sin is still sin. Even if the government passes a law and says to make the wrong a right, sin is still a sin. Even if the most popular celebrities or the most beloved politicians or the latest trendsetters promote it and normalize it, sin is still a sin. In Psalm 51 is David's public confession of his sin, pleads with God to make him right again, to wipe away his sin and be reconciled to God once again. You know, I, uh, part of it that really uh, spoke, I, I put right after the uh, sermon title in your bulletin, uh, but it, it's interesting, it, it's, it makes a good prayer, doesn't it? Uh, to, to reflect on that and to consider ourselves and our standing before God. Listen to that. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. It's easy to go ahead and point out where someone else has gone wrong. But what's your guilt? What's your sin? What's your shame? What burden are you carrying today? 
My dear friends in Christ, David's prayer expresses it very well, our need to be made clean. Our deep desire to be washed and cleansed whiter than snow, as scripture talks. David knew that even though God is a holy God, a righteous God that is opposed to sin of every kind, he also knew that God is merciful. That his constant love for even the worst sinner never flickers, dims, or is extinguished. I mean, we have an advantage over King David because God has revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus. In Jesus, we see the love of God more clearly. Coming from heaven to earth in a, in, a, in a stable as Mary, his mother, cried in pain as he came into the sinful world. He's subjecting himself to the, the rules and the ways of humanity because of his, his extreme love for us. And then we look to the figure on the cross, uh, mocked and bleeding and dying. Why? Because of his love for you and me. All this he did because of God's plan for sinful people like you and me, that we might be reconciled to God by having the guilt of our sin removed. God has removed the eternal guilt of our sin by dying in our place. And because of Jesus, you and I, we've been made new, right? Washed, clean, fresh again. Because of Jesus, we're, we're, we're made holy in God's eyes. I mean, David was right when he said that God has every right to be angry and to judge and condemn us for our sin and really Without Jesus, that's just what would happen, right? We would have to face the anger of God and his condemnation for our disobedience. But because of Jesus, all that changes. In Romans 8, Paul writes this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. In chapter five, he writes, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is God's abundant grace at work, my friends. We don't stay tied to our guilt. We don't need to keep on justifying ourselves. We don't need uh, to fear a God whose anger terrifies us. Open your eyes, open your heart to see a God as, as a God of abundant mercy. While it was foreshadowed in the Old Testament Psalms, it's inexplicably revealed in the saving grace of Jesus. Because of Jesus, sins are forgiven. Because of Jesus, we are surrounded by God's immense mercy and grace. What a joy that is. Believe it today. Receive it. Trust it. Jesus himself reminds us, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What wonderful good news. God's mercy versus our sin. God's mercy always wins. And our sin, your sin, is forgiven. So go in that peace, forgiven, cleansed, and restored this day. Amen. Please stand. And now may the peace of God that transcends all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, go with God's blessing this day. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this time of worship. From all of us at St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School, we thank you for listening. More worship opportunities are available on our website at stpaulslutheran.net. Just click worship at the top of the page. May God bless you and your family each and every day. And again, thank you for listening.